We are starting a series of reports and interviews of folks for Return to Learn here at Minnesota State University Mankato. The Minnesota Mavericks are pushing the boundaries to lead change and as we begin to return to campus, we're going to look at how does a comprehensive state university look in a post-pandemic world. So I'm interviewing a number of folks who are on a planning team for returning to learn, as we're calling. It's a strategic plan that focuses on phases for preparation, planning scenarios, and how we will look. The, the first person I have is Dr. David Jones. He is the Vice President for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management here at Minnesota State University. Good morning, Dr. Jones. Good morning. Uh, thanks for uh, including me in this. Oh, absolutely. You're you're an important person in this because I know you have certainly been involved because students are what we exist for here at the university, and that is a big part of what you're doing. So let me know what what is your part in the return to learn. Oh gosh, got a, a bunch of parts. Um, you know, really, uh, as part of my responsibility as Vice President for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management here at the university, uh, I'm responsible for many of our crisis management and planning processes. So um, this this pandemic definitely falls within that, that bailiwick. So I've been putting a lot of energy towards helping um, support our, our university planning processes that we've titled Return to Learn, as you allude to already. In addition to that, is really kind of putting some of the concrete steps behind working very closely with Minnesota Department of Health, our Blue Earth County partners, to try and figure out methods of notification in case there's cases, to supporting of, of students and, and staff, and what we, can we do to limit the exposure that we might have here that would interrupt our learning enterprise. Now, I understand it's done in phases. As part of the strategic plans, we've got these different phases. Do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, we're, we're um, right now we're, we're I, I don't know, we don't have a name for the phase we're currently in. <laughs> phase one, uh, phase two, phase three? Yeah, well, phase one is the next one, actually. So it's oh. kind of funny. We're, we don't have a name for where we are, our current sta- state, um, outside of, you know, is it, we are technically in uh, a division within the executive branch of the government here within Minnesota. So what the governor decides for the executive branch is where the Minnesota state system falls with our practices. So within that, um, we have identified kind of three phases that once the the governor lifts the uh, peacetime declaration, which at this point I believe expires July 13th, we would then move into phase one. Phase one would be inviting individuals back to campus that could help us uh, make the transition to the delivery of, of our hybrid classes this fall calling FlexSync. And because uh, we're going to need some, while people have been very helpful from their working from home or wherever they might be working from, there are some folks we just need back physically on campus to help us prepare for some of that return. Assuming that uh, cases continue to stay in the positive or uh, lower, uh, we would ultimately shift to a phase two. Phase two would be a broader reach of, of faculty, staff that, that help provide services across the university, whether it's to internal um, other staff and, and the work that they, that they do or direct support for students. Again, and we'll continue to monitor to see, uh, can we keep cases flat, that sort of situation. And then the final phase would be a bit the beginning, really, of a probably a long, the longest phase will be slowly being, bringing everybody else back to campus. And it was some of the, the same limitations, that, you know, that CDC and MDH have already identified that if, if you might be a high-risk individual, you're going to be at the very end of some of the phase three timeline. 
everything is pretty fluid as far as I understand. The whole COVID-19 pandemic has made us realize that there's no plan set in stone. And I'm sure you have been obviously exposed to that in your planning process in this pandemic. There's no doubt. I have never used so many pencils in my life. <laughs> Eraser, erasers, maybe, <laughs> exactly, too? Exactly. Exactly. I'm pretty hesitant to use ink at this point because even I, I just uh, minutes ago hung up with uh, Minnesota Department of Health and we were getting an update on um, from them on some statewide approaches and such. And there's some changes that we had since conversation last week. And and so, you know, one of the things that, that I think higher ed kind of takes pride in it, our ability to pivot. And we're a learning organization. What lessons can we take from the past? And then more importantly, how can we use some of the expertise that we have both on the campus, within the state, within our community, to make sure that we can make the necessary changes and, and don't be stuck in, we got to do it this way. And uh, th- this is a real test, I think, of any organization, as probably many of our listeners, whether it's within their own company or, 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 or organization or family even, the ability to adjust, knowing that, that there's some things we can do to help ourselves stay more healthy and safe, as well as help others do the same. As far as the, the planning process itself when have you do you meet weekly like you mentioned you hear from the department of health every day i assume almost um, yeah, we, the Minnesota Department of Health has uh, restructured their staff and and taken some of their current leads for some of the natural virus kind of stuff that they watch for and has given each one of them a title over a sector here at the, within the state so we have an individual who who is her day job, as she described it, she's been there for over 18 years, really was on like measles, mumps, that kind of area of expertise, but has been asked to be the higher ed liaison for the entire state. So she's been an incredible resource and, and along again with our Blue Earth County emergency response and, and viral uh, experts uh, within our own county. Uh, yeah, absolutely. We They can always reach out and, and or we can always reach out and ask questions. We are scheduling one to two meetings a week. MDH provides a weekly update meeting anyway uh, where we can call in and kind of listen. Here's here's where the state is of the pandemic might be across the state. Are we trending up, trending down? Are there hot spots across the state? Lessons that we might take from other communities that, that might be ahead of us at this point. And to that end, it's been super helpful. And you are the Vice President for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management. So I wanted to ask a little bit about the enrollment process. Of course, we went to started the spring semester and it started regularly enough. And then all of a sudden spring break came and we didn't have our students come back. So that's a big change for, for students. And it's going to look different when they return to fall. What do you think is going to be the biggest difference that students are going to see when they come back? Yeah, I think the biggest difference, to your point, is that we had to do a, the fastest pivot I think we've <laughs> ever done in our history, sure. where folks were planning on teaching an entire semester in person to move suddenly everything online, and that changes your pedagogical approach big time. And uh, as we're looking ahead to the fall, I think one of the things that we're taking great pride in is that our faculty now have a ramp towards the fall semester. So they've got time to know that, gosh, if I need to go more online, or I want to talk more about FlexSync in a moment, but having that, that lead in, like it is with anything you're planning, you can do it better with more planning time. So we have that this summer. So you feel like we've got a little of that experience under our belt enough to open and you mentioned flex syncs and i believe that what that means is 
some will be on campus, some will be on the computer, depending on your situation. Exactly. So we know, um, we've heard it loud and clear that some students in the spring semester were kind of dissatisfied with uh, some of their online experience, as well as we know that um, many of our professors here at the university, their strengths is their, their charisma, their talent in the classroom. So how can we harness both the need for it to be safe as well as provide some of that energy in the classroom? And so we, we are a leader within the state as we develop this process called FlexSync, which will enable a class to be taught both in person with six-foot distancing among desks, wearing masks, and some barriers in the classroom to provide just, you know, again, health, healthy environment with a lower density, less people in the classroom. And then if you're not feeling well, you know, on a certain day, or, or maybe the professor decides to split the class and half come in person on Monday, half on Wednesday, the whole idea that you could, at the same time your class is having an in-person class, log in and virtually take in that same lesson, whether you're at home, you're feeling nervous about coming in, or you're not feeling well, so you'll be able to consume that same same information in a live manner. One of your titles is the enrollment management. How does enrollment look? Because I know there's a lot of uncertainty, not only for us here at the university, but for parents back home. You know, they might have a recent graduate. Well, should I send my student there? What should I do? So what is our enrollment situation at this point? Yeah, great question, and uh, probably the one I get the most. <laughs> yeah. Is it based on how we're doing? What's it going to look like? We know, if I take just our incoming class coming in this fall, we've heard loud and clear from so many of these high school seniors that, you know, the disruption of the spring semester, it's a hallmark of their experience in life at this point. But many of them are super hungry to get to campus and, and return to some degree of normality, of which it won't be exactly like it has been in the past, but we think still be it's going to be a pretty strong and fun and great experience for learning. We have seen actually over the last six weeks an uptick of, of domestic students from Minnesota, Wisconsin, our border states reaching out to us to see if they can enroll for this fall still. And so that that's a pretty great sign of confidence in both our planning and their confidence in our, our ability to deliver a safe experience. We know at this point Minnesota Department of Health has given us the green light. We can go ahead and house two students to a room within the residence hall. Minnesota Department of Health is defining an off-campus apartment or a residence hall room, all the occupants within that space as a uh, family unit. So that's how you kind of approach things in the event someone does get sick. We've got plans for that in place. We've got over 100 rooms set aside right now so we can accommodate students if we need to isolate or quarantine anyone. Otherwise, the the incoming class is looking pretty strong on the domestic side. On the flip side, um, we have many of our international students, and you likely know that we've had great growth over the last decade here in our our international enrollment. In fact, aren't we one of the, the largest enrollments in the state? At least we, in the Minnesota state system, I'm sure we are. Yeah, absolutely. I believe we're the second largest uh, enroller of international students in the state of Minnesota at this point, and uh, we rank 12th nationally among all of our peers, is my understanding, across the country. Um, but we have seen definitely this pandemic is it's worldwide, so we know students and their families back home have been hit as well. And then additionally, the federal government's put some restrictions on travel that it is definitely having a negative impact on our international student enrollment numbers. So uh, at this point, I'm fairly certain we're going to see a decline in our international enrollment 
um, heading into this fall. David, do you have any numbers at this point? You know, in the past, we've had a strong enrollment of 15,000, and mm-hmm. maybe in the recent times, it's been a little under that, but do you have any idea where we're at? Yeah, so last year, we opened the fall semester, um, and we were 14,333, mm-hmm. <laughs> to be specific, and I anticipate this fall that we're, we're looking anywhere as of today. I wouldn't be surprised to see a decline of four to 500, okay. um, mostly impacted, again, by our international students. So that would put us in the upper 13,000, yes. <laughs> and other, I understand we're doing better than a lot of the other institutions in the Minnesota state system, however. We, we are. We are definitely the uh, pace leader, if you will, in that area. The, again, the interest and in, it continues to be strong and it continues to grow. And not just in incoming new first-year students, but we're, we're up on the number of transfer students that want to come this fall as well. Do you know where they're coming from, within the system or elsewhere? Yeah, you know, we we've, we draw students, it's pretty typical the last couple of years, we have students from all 50 states. The vast majority are coming from Minnesota, after that, Wisconsin. Most of our transfers are coming from some of our two-year partners, like Normandale Community College up near the cities, or Riverland to the east of us, uh, as well as South Central here in town. But we're seeing students who transfer to us from um, the University of Minnesota Twin Cities, if they feel like that's just too big for them, and they want a little more personalized approach, to some of that out-of-state four-year institutions as well. They might be pursuing a a degree that we have a little more expertise in. How will student activities look? You know, we've got so many recognized student organizations on campus, and, you know, they're very, very active, and I'm just wondering what that's going to look like. Yeah, we have, great question. We have over 230 different student organizations on our campus that are registered and, and organized, and every year we begin new ones based on students' interest, and it's just kind of wonderful to see them take an opportunity to get deeper into a subject and practice some peer leadership with each other. As we're looking ahead to the fall, if you even take Greek life for an example, it's going to be different. The, we're not going to be able to have some of the in-person recruiting activities that we normally do. You know, I, for many of us on campus and, and maybe listening as well, Zoom and or Teams on Microsoft have become a very frequent destination for us virtually where the opportunity to interact with each other that way. Many of our our student organizations are likely going to find themselves using that as a tool as well to stay connected and do some of the uh, shared interest stuff that they have. You mentioned fraternities, sororities. We've got a number of them with the campus here at Minnesota State. How is that going to look? Because you have all, then you'll be having all these unrelated people living in a house, which is generally what I guess they look like. Will that be banned or will that change it in any way? Right. So, so it's a great question. What we're asking people to do, uh, off campus, obviously, we have a little less influence, but the way we're handling move-in, and we're encouraging people to consider this off campus as well, is in early August, our students, well, soon they'll be able to sign up for a time in early August where our new incoming students can come with their families and move into the student room. And because that's a traditional time, you know, it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a hallmark. You want to have the experience uh, bringing your kid to college, moving them, get them all set. And then you're going to go home. And in about two weeks later, you're going to come back to campus and, and we'll have the hugs and kisses and, <laughs> and, and tears of joy and sadness um, outside the residence hall while they, they leave their, their son or daughter off here to study. That will give us time to make sure that both people are healthy it, before you come to school. We, we're expecting you to be healthy at least for two weeks before you return back to campus, doing that kind of isolation. But then also give us a better sense we can get stuff in there and to make sure that uh, based on what we know from the CDC, any viral elements that might be on any belongings or anything like that would be dead by then, so it'd be safe as well. How about the student health services? How will they be involved in all of this? I assume they're a part of the the planning process? 
a huge part. Um, our student health services continues to be open all throughout the summer and provide support to students who who might be presenting with the, with the illness and, and working with local medical providers to make sure we can get the testing done. We're in the process right now of putting together a negative pressure room, which uh, ultimately we'll be stepping up our own very small respiratory clinic so we can do some of the COVID-19 case testing right here on campus to make it more convenient for students. So will everybody be required to have a test then? Yeah, so that, that's a common question right now, I guess, that Minnesota Department of Health is, is receiving. Their recommendation to us is to not do mass testing mm. at the start of the year, that it really gives you kind of a false sense of security mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, in that it's a snapshot of one day, right. especially as everybody's coming to campus, when you really need that three days to kind of figure out, do, do you have it or not have it, that sort of thing. So it, at this point, they feel like education and smart move-in activities are probably a better measure. And with that, are masks going to be required, or what's the theory on that? Yeah, we, we are expecting everybody to be invested in the health care and the well, health and well-being of our community on campus here, and that includes wearing masks, especially in public areas. We are beginning campus visits again on July 6th, so that is the date that we'll officially begin asking all employees and other folks who, if you're, if you're not in a, a private workspace at the university, that you can isolate yourself by, or distance yourself by at least six feet, we're going to be asking you, please wear a mask. And we believe so much in that that we're actually providing every student and staff and faculty member with two masks so they can wash them and have have one to rotate and everything. But we know, and again, in my call with MDH today, they just reinforce it is such a simple step that we can take to help keep our community healthy and safe that it just makes sense for us to do it as well. Can you mandate that? I mean, I remember even the policy of, of having no smoking on campus. It was <laughs> really difficult because it's like, well, how do you really enforce that? And if you don't enforce it, why bother? So it, it seems like it kind of relates to that same issue we've had before with that. Is, is that uh, something that's being considered? Yeah, we, we've talked through whether it's a requirement, a hard requirement, and at this point we've chosen not to use that term and, and again, just kind of expecting everybody to mm-hmm. to make the healthy right choice for our community. I think, Karen, it's going to get, it's going to be really interesting because as we across our state and across our country, as more people have had uh, the COVID-19, that there may not be a benefit for them to wear masks anymore. And so as, as I could see us having a community where if you don't know if you've had it, you definitely want to wear a mask. And if you had had it and you know you've had it, you may feel less pressure to have to do that. So I, I think we're going we're gonna to learn and stub our toe and try and figure out some ways to, to make sure that we can be safe and, and, and help everybody in our community try and stay safe. Stay safe. But I, I suspect this is a big part that, that I have right now written in pencil as we try and learn more. Well, it'll be interesting to see tonight when they hold the mask meeting for the Mankato City Council, whether or not they will be requiring people to wear masks in public places. So I assume if that happens, that the city of Mankato does that, would that, I assume the university would have to comply with that? Yeah, so we are, as a university within the city limits, it's our interest to be a great partner with the city because they, they help us with so many different things from, from hosting, you know, our men's and women's hockey teams downtown to we're a massive employer here in the city, so we know a lot of our employees are invested in the success of the city. Technically, we are a state property. Mm-hmm. So we, we would not necessarily need to follow that, but like we do with so many other things, it would make sense for us to 
likely follow those things. But we'll be very interested in seeing how the dialogue goes at the city council tonight as well. I just had a listener send a question in for you. Will sports teams wear masks when they compete, and what will it look like for for sports? You know, will we have people in the the arena watching? Right. Right. That two good questions. So. We know already that people are entrepreneurial, and I understand that there's always already being prototypes developed and shared that, like within a football helmet, an entire face shield that would then um, protect uh, any respiratory emission from, from your mouth that would be captured on that, um, as well as that I think it's been traditional somewhat in hockey already. But um, we, we have more to learn, and, and, and it sounds like at this point in time that so much of these decisions will likely be within a state or within wow. a conference trying to determine is it safe enough, are our cases settled enough that we can do that. Under current MDH guidelines, they're limiting public gatherings up to 250 people, so that would eliminate our ability to really have many visitors or, or mm. of an audience for any of these sporting events. If, if you're including the number of the players for football, that, that doesn't even probably include all family members at this point. So we're anxious to see MDH on our call last week did allude to them hoping that that number grows by the fall, start of the fall semester, but we'll see. The most recent numbers show that the COVID-19 is cases are occurring in 20-somethings. And of course, that includes a lot of our population here at the university. Is that a concern? I mean, is that a driving force in what you're doing in terms of this fluid plan for return? Uh, absolutely. We're, we're monitoring very closely the cases here in Blue Earth County, and especially ones that are within that college-age population, as you, as you identify. You know, one of the things that we're looking at right now, what additional messaging can we do to share? Because it sounds like some of these growth has been from choices to have some social gatherings. Which, is, which I think you're, we're going to have here at the university, naturally. Absolutely. Absolutely. But even at this point, we've got to encourage people to be smart. And, and if we think back to kind of that family definition of, of how you can spend time together, while it's really uncomfortable and, and frustrating and probably tiresome at this point, mm-hmm. even the ability to just, you know what, we're going to do barbecue just with the people, our friends in our in our apartment or, or in our close-knit group, it's interacting across a broader spectrum appears to uh, have a negative impact right now. I think that's going to be challenging for a university, and I think that's going to be something that's developing while when, when people return. The U of M, I, I believe, had some sort of plan where they'd have classes until Thanksgiving and then not have them back again for break because they figured that way they wouldn't come back from the break and, and reinfect possibly. Right. Do, do we have any th- plans like that at all at this point? Um, we've had some conversations surrounding that, even in our conversation with MDH. I think all the institutions and colleges, universities that are making that decision do that are, are kind of throwing a Hail Mary to hope that that makes an impact, but there hasn't necessarily been science behind that decision to indicate that it, if you if you break at Thanksgiving, you'll be safer. Mm-hmm. They're guessing that that might be the case, and, and it's hard to speak to other schools what their plans might be, but, it, right. but at this point, we want to gather some more information before we were to make that decision. Okay, I'm just wondering, you know, because I, I, like I said, it's such a fluid thing. Is there anything you'd like people to know overall? You know, I think we are planning on being here, being in person this fall. 
And all the work that we've been putting together and our planning has been complemented by others, including MDH. And we've been very fortunate. We've had a bunch of our campus leaders serve on the statewide task forces for for housing, for dining, for for classroom um, teaching and everything. So we've been right there at the forefront with the with the state in, in developing these plans. And so pretty feel really confident that we're going to be able to provide a, a strong learning experience, a strong living experience, while mitigating the ability to to stay healthy. We have been talking with Dr. David Jones, the Vice President of Student Affairs and Enrollment Management here at Minnesota State University, Mankato, about the return to learn, the plan to come back to campus. Now, you mentioned earlier that there's a a date of July, I believe it's July 13th, when maybe we'll know a more solid plan. Is that what I heard you say? Yeah, so July 13th coincides with when the governor's emergency peacetime declaration sunsets. So at that point, we're expecting that MDH, they've alluded to that they would have more recommendations by that date. So I would think that week, we likely will hear from the governor on whether cases are such that he feels like he either needs to extend that peacetime or we're going to move into another phase. And in great compliments to our governor and, and MDH and the way that they've used the metaphor of the dial system. I think that's really helped our community here understand, well, if we do this, we can release, we can turn the dial a little bit more, or if we start to see more cases, we need to pause and and try and figure out what what changes we need to make before we can step forward. Let me ask you this, David, how are you doing in all this? Has this been a little stressful for, I guess, all the the planning and Zoom meetings? You might be tired of those, I would imagine. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I haven't developed carpal tunnel yet in the typing, so... (laughs) Appreciate the concern. I, I will share. I, I am. I have continued to uh, go to my office every day, and so it, it is somewhat eerie uh, being on a campus that's ready for tens of thousands of students, and, and we have just a handful of people here at the university who are continue to do some work to make sure we're we're taking care of this great structure and uh, preparing for our learning enterprise to kick off this fall. But it, it's no place for a campus to be empty. It's meant to have people here, so looking forward to that. One of the things we realize uh, that we have a lot of families. I have questions, much like the ones you've asked today. Is we have posted on um, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. We have a, a family orientation podcast with a lot of these campus experts talking about how the fall is going to look. So, really encourage people to go check that out as well. How do we find that? What do we look under? Um, look up family orientation, or just type in family orientation Mankato, or just type in Mankato. It'll pop up. Great to know. Thank you for that. Thank you very much, and you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Dr. David Jones, the Vice President for Student Affairs and Enrollment Management here at Minnesota State. If you want to listen again, we're going to be putting our interviews up on the the podcast for KMSU as well. And 